So I'm going to ask you once again, we've been asking for several weeks now, how's your soul? If you're just joining us or you haven't been here in a little while, we've been in a series talking about our souls and, 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 and how it is. And if it's healthy or unhealthy, is it good? Is it bad? How would you finish the sentence, my soul is good when I blank, or my soul is bad when I'm blank? And how certain of it are you? This week, I was, not, I was not certain of what I was going to say this morning. And so I, uh, I titled the message, uh, Toxic Certainty. So I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And so um, I want to be delicate when I, with these words. But my wife left me at home with three of her, our kids um, this last weekend. She went, she went away for a, a, just, a, just kind of two days. And uh, um, I got to be a father. Um, hold that. I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> Well, she, she, she went there, and, and so I was not certain with what I was going to say to you guys this weekend. So I'm like, man, this is Friday, Saturday, this is my crunch time. This is when I kind of start feeling it, and I'm putting my words together. And now I have uh, the, the kids, and I have a three-year-old that wants a lot of attention. I need to find something to, to, to have her entertain, whatever word I want there. She needed something uh, for, that wasn't me um, all day long. So I sifted through the Netflix and the Amazon Prime libraries, right, the archives there, and, and I discovered that the movie Trolls was just released. Anyone see the movie Trolls? No, no. I've seen it 10 times in the last 24 hours, to be exact. I've seen it. Here's the deal. Spoiler alert. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about the story here. Here's the gist of it. There are these trolls, right? There are these little brightly colored creatures with, uh, uh, with a lot of hair, and they love to sing and dance. And, and then there's this other character. They're the, the Bergens, right? And they are these much larger, ogre-like looking creatures who, who are just miserable. They're, they're unhappy. But they, somewhere along the line, the journey, discover that eating trolls makes them happy, right? And so there's this one tree that's in the village where they, where they would go to, to gather these trolls and, and eat them, right? But they realized that they couldn't eat trolls every day of the year because they would run out. And so they created this once-of-year festival called Trollstice, right? And this is one day a year where they would all get together and they would eat a troll and they would enjoy a day of happiness uh, before it was back to their miserable lives. Well, the trolls become smart and they figure a plan to escape and hide in the forest where the, the Bergens can't find them. And the Bergens are now without the only thing that they know that can make them happy. They've been told their whole life, only eating trolls will make you happy. And so they're back to their, their, their miserable lives here. And, and, and years later now, that you fast forward, and um, uh, you, the, the trolls, they begin to let their defenses down, and they decide to throw a really big party. And because they believe that they've seen the last of the Bergens, right? And so they sing, and they dance, and they make noise, and Unfortunately, there was a Bergen that was walking through the woods, and, they, and, he, and this woman, Bergen, hears them, and she captures a handful of the trolls, right? And then you fast forward to the end, and all the trolls have now been captured, and the Bergens have gone uh, several years without eating trolls, thus being unhappy all those years, and are once again about to celebrate Trollstice, right? The princess troll, Poppy is her name, uh, saves the day by convincing the Bergens that happiness is not something that you put inside of you, but something that you already have inside of you. That it's a process of becoming aware of it. And the king, who had never eaten a troll before in his entire life, was proof of this because he found love and happiness in a relationship with another person and discovered that happiness never, never having to have eaten a troll. 
And they all discover this freedom that comes with this when they realize that happiness is something inside of you. And then there's this huge dance breakout and and song montage. It's great. You should really watch it with my kid. Um, So why, why do I tell you that? I am a strong believer that all truth comes from God. That no matter where you find it or who you hear it from, that if you believe God is the creator of the universe, that he is in that truth and he redeems it. It's why sometimes you'll hear the band here at church play songs that probably weren't intended to be sung at church. Or perhaps uh, they teach this spiritual principle that we can learn from. Or you might hear me quote a book or an article from an author who is not a professed Christian and still be able to pull truth and meaning from that. That God can use it to form me and to shape me. And so although I only intended the movie Trolls to keep my kid busy, something in that story resonated with me. And so briefly, I want to share with you, I want to look at an example of a sacred text. And then I want to close with some songs and and, and allow us to worship our creator. And so my spiritual journey has been a lot like the the troll movie. And here's what I mean. I made a decision to ask Jesus into my heart, to get saved, to uh, make a decision to follow Jesus, to pray a prayer at a very early age. And I was taught at a very early age to believe certain things about God, about the Bible, about church, about the people outside the church. And for the majority of my life, I went on believing those things. All at the same time, there was this questioning and doubting and this unrest going on in the inside of my soul, this wondering I had. And side note, does anyone else find it strange that we would ask children who perhaps have yet to learn how to ride a bike, to change a diaper, to load a dishwasher, to feed themselves, to make a decision to commit their lives to a man who asked his followers to love their enemies, to give without expecting anything in return, or to face public execution if necessary. Just a, something to wonder about. Because as, as a kid, I, I did not know what I was getting myself into. And I wonder how many of us even did. But I went on with the majority of my life and I had this unrest inside of me. I doubted some things about God and about what it meant to be a Christian. And I remember in college being surrounded by some great people who pushed me and challenged me in my faith. And I could, ask, uh, I could continue to ask questions about the things that I always believed. And then I remember in 2005, I watched a documentary that really threw me for a spin. And I began to ask bigger questions. And since that time and my entire time here, those questions have become louder and the unrest inside of me has become stronger. And I'm at a place in my journey with God that I'm wrestling with him on some various things that I believed a certain way my entire life. And in these times of questioning and doubting and wrestling, I've come out on the other side, sometimes believing the same things, sometimes changing my view on some other things. But at the least, an approach to truth that I have now is much less arrogant than it was as a teenager on fire for God. Can anyone else relate? I'm not the only Bergen, right, in the room? Has anyone believed something about God their whole life and then had an experience, a moment of enlightenment, a voice of a friend, a lyric from a song, the reexamining of sacred text? brought about a change in your beliefs or what you thought you believed. 
Does anyone believe something different about God than they did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I know I'm not alone. Because this is one of the things that I value most about the Grove Church. I love that we are not robots spitting out identical answers. Regurgitating things that some Sunday school teacher with the great intentions but bad theology taught us. I love the fact that we look different, talk different, think different, vote different, smell different, and that sometimes believe different. I love and value the fact that we all come from different places, that we all have different stories and backgrounds, that some of us have been in church our entire lives. Some of us have been in church much, much less, right? There may be a couple of you here today for the, for the first time. You took a wrong turn and here you are, right? In fact, in fact, you probably just whispered to the person you came with, I'm going to pretend to go to the bathroom. You get the kids, I'll meet you in the car, right? I mean, I, I, that conversation's going on, right? Which, which reminds me, a, a little housekeeping here real quick. If you're visiting with us today, don't, don't, you can hear this, but it's not for you. Get here on time, folks, right? You know, listen, hold on, hold the clap because it's really good. Hold on. We, we, don't, we don't start till 11 o'clock on Sundays, right? You know, and I don't, so I don't care if you have six kids. You get them to school five days a week at 8 o'clock, all right? So we don't start till 11 for you. The band spends most of the week preparing and they're going to start at 11 o'clock with or without you, right? And so I want you to be here to hear them. And then with that, I want you to stay seated. Uh, you don't need that many cups of coffee. And it's, in fact, it's obvious that you need less coffee, right? But we want everyone here to have a great experience on Sundays. And we're trying to limit the distractions and to think of others. And this, what I just said, again, speaks to something I love about this church. We all just receive that in a different way, right? Some of you inside, you're cheering, right? Some of you elbowed the person next to you. Some of you were looking at that guy that gets up three times each week, right? Some of you are mad because you are that guy that gets up three times every week, right? Or some of you, I just wrecked your fashionably late arrival or your early dismissal because you need to get the kids early because they miss you. Your kids do not miss you back there. They're having lots of fun. They don't want to be out here with the old friends that you have. Or listen, However you just received that message, the cool thing is that we're going to honor it, right? And we're not going to kill the messenger, right? Right? Yeah? John the Baptist's famous last words, right? I'm just here to, just to tell a message. That was from the elders, signed Tim Warner. <clears throat> so, all right. But for reals, guys, what I love is that we have this open-handed approach to our faith here. And what I mean by that is for many of us, we no longer hold on so tight to what we believe that there's no room for growth or change. Exercise. Everyone, squeeze your hands as tight as you can and hold it. As tight as you can. You don't have to raise them. I'm just doing that. You can tight, right? Hold them still tight. Squeeze. Some of you aren't doing it. Right, some of you do it. I'm watching you. I can see the lights are up. All right. Open your hands. Look at your hands. What do you see? Fingernail marks. Awesome. I've heard someone describe fundamentalism as holding so tightly to some of your beliefs that your fingernails leave imprints on the palm of your hand. I want to read something to you from this book that I picked up called Faith Unraveled, an amazing book so far. I can only speak to the preface because that's all I've read, introduction, but it's great, it's great so far. Let me read this to you. 
The problem with fundamentalism is that it can't adapt to change. When you count each one of your beliefs as absolutely essential, change is never an option. When change is never an option, you have to hope that the world stays exactly as it is so as not to mess with your view of it. I think this explains why some of the preachers on TV look so frantic and angry. For fundamentalists, Christianity sits perpetually on the precipice of doom. One scientific discovery or cultural event or difficult theological question away from extinction. So fearful of losing their grip on faith, they squeeze the life out of it. So for me, moving forward, I'm just trying to figure this Jesus stuff out. And I want you to journey with me. So this question now is begged to be asked at this moment. How do we do this in community? How do we do this type of approach to faith together in relationship? How can we get along with the person we disagree with without taking our ball and going home? We've discussed this in our theology nights where the Christian church ideology has created these systems and these formulas to highlight our differences, right? And we spend our time in church uh, making mental lists of our beliefs and doctrines and that we can either decide which we believe for ourselves or which ones we can fight over, which ones we can divide over, or which ones we would, we would die for. As opposed to figuring out what we agree on and, and what we're united in. See, Paul and Jesus prayed for unity for the church, not uniformity. Those are not the same thing. We are not a liberal church. We are not a conservative church. We are not a Republican church. We're not a Democratic church. But we are a church of liberals and conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, third party, politically unaffiliated, believers, skeptics, skeptical believers, married, straight, single, gay, young, not as young, Catholic backgrounds, Protestant backgrounds. If we're making a list, it would go on and on and on. But these are not the things that define our community. We are the beloved sons and daughters of God. Chapter 2 of the Alcoholic Anonymous book reads this. We are people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie and joyousness and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in an escape from disaster does not subside as we go into our, on our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in a powerful cement which binds us, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. A great description of the Grove Church, you've heard me say this before, is that we're a group of people who wouldn't normally mix. But we gather under the understanding that we are a mess and we need God. That our brokenness is what we share and it's Christ that holds us together. The early church understood this when Galatians said, No longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female. And Jesus is saying that there's a better description for us. We're all one in Christ. That we're a mess and we need a savior. Because left on my own, I will serve myself. I will follow idols. I will medicate my pain. Greed will enter in my heart. 
Guilt will control my thoughts. My ego will rule my life. I'm a mess and I need God. And if you don't think you're a mess, stick around. There are a few people that will point it out to you, right? We love to figure out other people's mess. So turn with me to Luke 24. That's where we're going to be today. Luke 24. I want to share with you a familiar story. Uh, It's one we referenced before when talking about this same subject. Luke 24. I don't hear many pages. You guys must have the app on your phone. So Luke 24, it'll be on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had just happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And so uh, previously, this is right after Jesus' crucifixion and uh, resurrection. They stood still with faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, "Are uh, are uh, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that are happening here these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but then urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearing uh, evening, and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told them what had happened on the way and and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I'm going to throw an image on the screen You've seen this image before. I've talked about it before. A man named Caravaggio. This is his depiction of the story that I just read. And so we're just going to take a moment real quick. And I want to talk about some things that describe who we are as a community and and what we look like and how it's going to happen. And so I want to point out some things in the image. And I want to get the first thing out of the way. And I have the photo here. So if I'm not looking back, I have it in front of me. But let's get the obvious out of the way. Jesus doesn't have a beard. Um, I think Caravaggio was in a hurry. um, And this is an incomplete work. So um, envision Jesus having a beard. But seriously, they're together, right? Here's the first part of following Jesus, being a disciple. 
We need to be in community. Faith is done with other people. It's done together. Our faith is very personal, but it's not private. You and I were created to be in community. We don't have to look very far when we get into Scripture and the creation of man. God looks out of all creation and says, this is good, this is good, this is good, and then looks at man and says, well, this is not good. I need to create with him community, and he creates Eve. The man on the left, my right, looking very intently at Jesus, right? Almost like he's hanging on every word. Jesus, in the story, drew them back to Scripture, right? They were disciples. They walked with him, right? They saw the miracles. They should have known their Hebrew Bible already. N.T. Wright says this, We need to learn how to read the Scriptures, and for that we need, as our teacher, the risen Lord himself. This passage forms one of the most powerful encouragements to pray for his presence and sense of guidance whenever we study the Bible. Individually, in pairs, or in larger groups, we need to be prepared for him to rebuke our foolish and faithless readings and to listen for his fresh interpretations. Only with him at our side will our heart burn within us to lead us to the point where we see him face to face. We have to go back to scriptures. We have to be willing to see where we may have read it wrong or misread it. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us through that. Because if I'm not willing to be wrong about my most deeply held beliefs, then it's not the truth that I'm after, it's control. What else do we see? We see these four guys here. These four people are uh, in, they're in passionate discussion, right? Verse 17 says, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And the Greek word is zudzeteo, which is translated to discuss, to examine, to dispute, to reason together, to investigate together. This is the theme. It seemed that these things were done in relationship with each other. The disciples, the followers of Christ would investigate scripture together in relationship. So please hear me. Do not get into deep scriptural discussions with people you are not in relationship with. Build a relationship first. Talk about life first. And then you have a foundation for the latter, right? And if you disagree on some things, that's okay. You can still be friends because that's what united you together, the relationship. The goal for our faith is not to find a bunch of people we agree with and then build a church and then hang out with them, right? We won't always agree on things. Paul said that in Romans. He said, be united, not uniform. When you disagree with people, you don't break off relationship. Uh, What scripture passage is that, right? I've told you this joke, and I always promised myself if if I became a pastor that I wouldn't retell jokes. So pretend you haven't heard this. There, a guy is stranded on the island, right? Remember the story where he's by himself uh, on this island and he's there for a few years and, and, a, and a boat comes to pick him up or, or sees him there um, and, and, they, and, they, and they pick him up and they're like, are you by yourself? Is there any more people on the island? And he's like, no, I'm by myself. And the guy's like, are you, have you always been alone? He's like, yeah, I've always been alone. He's like, why are there three, three buildings, three houses on the island? And he's like, well, that's, that's my house there and, and that's my church where I go and worship and that one there, is, uh, that's my old church. I find it very comforting that Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, they talked about current issues in life. They wrestled through the issues. They examined them. They investigated them. They reasoned them. There's no mention of either of them walking away from each other or, or breaking off the relationship. They find themselves in moments of conversation 
where they're dealing with what's, what's happening all around them. And so part of following Christ is being present physically with each other and being present dealing with life today. And so when Jesus asked him, well, what, what are you talking about? It's obvious to us that we, we know that he knew the answer to that, right? He knew what had just happened. It happened to him, right? He knew better than anyone. But Jesus is asking you to answer that question. He's encouraging discussion and, and, and questions. What are you guys talking about? What's happening in your life right now? How are you interpreting the things that happened this last weekend? How do you read the scriptures, the cross, the empty tomb? What does the sacred text say about me? Jesus is giving these guys the space they need to work through their issues. He gives them the space to tell their stories, space to share their pain, space to process, space to wrestle, space to doubt, space to speak their disappointments, and space for unbelief and questions. These guys honestly don't know what to make of what just happened those last three days. Everything they thought they knew is being challenged. They're afraid. They're tired. They're confused. They're, they're beginning to doubt. His first response to their struggling, though, get this, was not to preach to them or to correct their thinking. It wasn't to argue with them. He didn't even try to give them an answer. He just listened to their reasoning, their discussion, their wrestling, their doubting. Jesus lets them work through their spirituality and their issues. He even gives them space to be wrong, right? What things, he asked. What just happened? What life moments? And they're trying to figure out their lives, their beliefs, the significance of the cross, the resurrection, the empty tomb. They're trying to understand what just happened. And Jesus isn't trying to get, get you and I to understand him. He just wants you and I to trust him. Jesus wants to continue the conversation. And it's okay to be confused about things and to, 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 to hope uh, the disappointment that comes, the joy, the doubt, all of it. And he wants us to do it together in community. Share your doubts. Share your frustrations, your fears, your joys. But we need to be honest about life. And we all need a community that we can be safe, a safe place to be honest, right? Church has to be that safe place for anyone at any stage in their journey. Because if not the church, then where? Jesus is not afraid of the questions, the doubts, the struggles, but he welcomes it. He gives space for it. The church wants to put it on paper and have you sign in blood. And Jesus said, skeptics are welcome. And these disciples, they even doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. In verse 21, we thought he was this, but, but we were wrong. Other things I see in that, that photo, the guy on the left here pushing his chair back, he's either opening up more space at the table or he's getting kind of excited about the journey that he's about to go on. He can't wait to go back to Jerusalem and tell the others. In the open space here in the front, we see uh, a room at the table, maybe a spot that's inviting you to come and join the conversation, to be a part of it. In fact, I mentioned this before, but the, the basket of fruit is about to fall off the table, which is begging for us to engage the photo. You see something falling from the table, your, your first inclination is to reach in and grab and to become a part of it. He's drawing you into the conversation. The disciple has his arms wide open. Perhaps he's asking Jesus, well, how big do we need to make the table? 
How big do we have the, the church doors need to be? Jesus is pointing now at the, at the end, perhaps inviting us to go. Be my disciples. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do life together, which may require deconstructing the too small table that you already have and building a bigger one with more room. We're going to look at scripture together and we're going to reread it and seek to know God's heart in it. And we're going to invite others to engage in the discussion. We're going to break bread together and we're going to celebrate in baptism and we're going to worship in song and giving and serving. And we're going to invite everyone to join us at the table because it's around the table our eyes are open to see Jesus and others. Daryl Brock, in his commentary on Luke, says this, It is no accident that Jesus is revealed as he sits having table fellowship with the two disciples. The table was the place for fellowship in the ancient world. Here, family and friends gathered to share time with each other. Luke has underscored the importance of meal scenes throughout his gospel. The table was the place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. The fact suggests that Jesus reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments in life. He is at home in the midst of our everyday activity. Watch this video. Christ walks among us through commu- through community. I, I think there was a day when he walked on the earth and human people got to get to, got to know him in real life. And now what we have is community. We get to embody his identity and these beliefs and these stories and we do it for each other. And so I think, uh, you know, for a long time it was all about like that third place. There's the home, the office, and then there's Starbucks, that place that we all go and they all look the same, and they all smell the same, and you can get the same stuff. And don't worry, a scone here will taste just like a scone there. And don't worry, no one will actually see your kitchen. And don't worry, no one will ever get to see the actual fabric of how you live. And so I think I'm kind of back to that first place. Not the office, not the coffee shop, the home, the table. And I think, you know, speaking of the person of Christ, um, you know, we'll never know if he intended to start a sacrament at the last summer. It's what we extrapolated from it. I think it's great. I think it's a beautiful tradition. I love being a part of it. But essentially, what was happening around the table was sacred before we made a sacrament out of it. It wasn't like little pieces of faith. The little wafer, right? So I think like he chose something that was already happening. They were already going to gather around the table. They were already going to have bread and wine. That was in the rhythm of how they lived together. And he chose to have one of his most significant conversations with the people he loved most in that setting. That means something for us. And I think obviously the Eucharist is so important and it means something in our churches. Of course it does. But I think the table and the bread and the wine also mean something in our homes. And I think when we offer them to one another in that space, it's sacred as well. And I think most of us, for all sorts of reasons, 
the house is too messy, it's too small, we don't have enough money, we don't know how to cook, we're too busy, whatever, whatever. We have wandered away from the table. And I think something really beautiful happens when we kind of wander back. And I think that, you know, when I look at the most extraordinary conversations, frankly, the most extraordinary conversations I've had in the last couple of years have happened either um, around the table or out running together. There's something about... Uh, there's, running around the table. Or running around the table also, yes. Um, there's something about looking each other in the eye across the table that does something in people. And... Uh, I don't do it often enough, but I'm really committed to it. And when I do it, I'm reminded that it matters. I want to make room at the table. If we don't invite people to the table, then we never get a chance to see the Jesus inside of them. The Jesus that is waiting to encounter us. I don't want to be a church that is defined just by our beliefs, but by our actions. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is going to look out to his followers and he's going to say, well done, not well believed. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you, have, uh, you see it that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Right? And we like to eat. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. That everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. In other words, wake up, people. I'm here always been here. I will always be with you. We no longer pray for God to show up or to fill this place, but now we pray, God, make us aware of your presence in this place. Make me aware of your presence in the person sitting next to me or the stranger sitting across from me at the table. The band's going to sing a song. It's new. It's entitled Wake Up. I want you to listen to the words process, think, struggle, wrestle, doubt, question, what is God speaking to you today? And then we're going to invite you to stand and close with us.